0: Welcome to Mandemonium, a podcast where I, your host, Mandy, talk to guests about their favorite works of fiction, whether that be books, movies, TV shows, or more. Today, I will be talking to Michael Burgett about the 2006 movie, The Holiday. This month, we are in the holiday spirit, uh, and with that, I've uh, invited uh, Michael Burgett to join me here. Uh, Michael is uh, the honor of being the first person on this podcast that I do not know in person, but we are uh, longtime Twitter friends, I would say.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good way of putting it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Michael, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, so
1: uh, I'm from Tennessee, and I am the host of the Screen Nerd's podcast, which is a podcast that uh, I always like to say is uh,
0: for film lovers,
1: uh, celebrating film and and sharing and showcasing uh, those films that we love and enjoy.
0: Yeah, and you review new and old films, which I find to be great because. I feel like sometimes podcasts get stuck in one or the other, right? Uh, and they're either reviewing things as they come out or they're just reviewing old stuff. And it's nice, I feel like, to have both kind of in one place.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, like I said, I do new reviews uh, right out of the theater, uh, call them quick screen reviews. And then re-screen uh, episodes are going back to re-watching some of my favorite films, talking about what I thought when I saw it the first time, and then what I thought on the latest rewatch. And so it's, uh, it's a good way to have a change of pace, like you said, and really just to enjoy films, both new and old.
0: When I uh, asked you to come on, I I, uh, said that we were going to be doing December. And so I asked you to pick something, uh, Christmassy and the holiday spirit, if you will, and you picked the movie The Holiday. Would you like to kind of speak to and give non-spoiler thoughts of why you picked this film out of the whole kind of oeuvre of Christmas films?
1: Yeah, so this film is one of my favorite films. Going back to when I saw it the first time, uh, when I was living in Seattle, uh, there was a blockbuster that, you know, dating myself, (laughs) that was right down the street. Uh, from where I lived, and I would frequent there every so often just to check out what was there and see what was available and saw this on the shelf. Uh, it looked interesting because of the cast. That what drew me into it, and seeing just the the chemistry of the, the actors and the story, which is set uh, in between Christmas and New Year's, it really just has become one of my favorite holiday films and one that I love to revisit over and over again.
0: Yeah, and I I mentioned to you previously when we were uh, uh, attempting our first recording of this podcast, because this is our second attempt due to technical difficulties, that uh, the first time I watched this film, I did not like it. But that is not a knock on the film. Uh, I've talked about this before when it comes to Iron Man. Uh, I was just in a really dark place. When I was in grad school <laughs> and uh, most films, I just could not appreciate. I was just like, no, this is the worst. And so all of those films, I kind of had to come back to and watch at different places. Uh, so I really do like the holiday now. I think it really holds together. Um, I-, I feel like people kind of been it as a kind of like rom-com ish film, but I feel like it's like so much more than that, right? There are romances, but it's really about these women like learning about themselves as people and learning to be okay alone and like growing from being in these different situations, which I find very appealing.
1: Yeah. I, and, and you're right. There, there is elements of rom-com in there. Absolutely. Especially with, uh, Amanda and Graham, but I really feel like with Iris, it's more of not just a romantic element to it, but a friendship element, uh, really just, uh, growing beyond where she saw herself in becoming really the the leading lady of her own story yes
0: yes which i think is a lesson uh that a lot of people have to learn in their own lives right so uh i think it's a relevant movie i should say even though there are some things in it that are very of like the 2000s oh Um, yes
1: very much there are some Elements, and we'll probably get into them here about how it very much is
0: of the times. Yes, yes. Uh, it was, you know, it's right on that cusp of like the internet becoming everything, but not quite what it is now. So it's really, it's really interesting. I guess some other just general non spoilery things for anyone out there who's not seen it. Uh, as uh, Michael mentioned, there's a pretty like rock star, all star cast in this film so we have Cameron Diaz we have Kate Winslet we have Jude Law who I love we have Jack Black we have that guy whose name I will never remember who I love to hate and everything he's in Jasper what's his name in real life yes Rufus Sewell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> generally typecast as a bad guy I feel like but not always not always and there's even like I when I was watching it I was like wait is that John Krasinski
1: <laughs> yeah there's and Catherine a- Hahn too
0: Yes, yes. And then of course we get the uh and this is like not a spoiler because it's super early. You you even get things with like Lindsay Lohan. It's just like this is like so many people. <laughs> so the acting is stellar is what I would say. Everyone does an amazing job. It's also, you know, a movie that's kind of about both uh hollywood and somewhat publishing which i find very interesting um but we can talk about that more in spoilers and about growing and learning and uh, like you said becoming like the leading lady of your own life so yeah any other non-spoiler things you want to throw out there for people who may not have seen this movie uh no i think
1: we can dive right into the spoilery part now
0: Okay, we're going full spoilers. So if you haven't seen this movie, uh, you should go watch it before you see this. Though, unfortunately, it's not really streaming easily for free on any system you may be paying on. I had to buy it, so... um Just throwing that out there for people. But it's worth the cost is what I would say. Go buy it. (laughs) Christmas is here. Going into full spoilers, we'll just kind of generally walk through the plot and the characters and see where the conversation takes us. Uh, So I really love that this movie opens with a fake out. You kind of have this like, very romantic scene with this romantic music playing over the top and then uh, you know eventually there's a a narration but it's another movie right that Jack Black's character is uh, composing the music to Uh, and we kind of get introduced to all the characters like very quickly in this opening like you go from the fake out to seeing Jack Black who you don't meet till quite some time later to then some of the other characters.
1: Yeah it, it really is kind of it introduces you in a, like you said, a fake out way, but it, but in a very much a Hollywood way, which, you know, given the character of, of Amanda and Miles and how they work in Hollywood, it really is apropos for for how they wanted to start this film.
0: Yeah, that's one of the things I had forgotten was kind of like you're introduced to Jack Black and his uh, girlfriend. Um, and what is Jack Black's character's name? Miles. Miles, I he's he's such Jack Black to me that I always am just like it's Jack Black. <laughs> <laughs> that I, uh, it's the same with Cameron Diaz, it took me like half the movie to get her character's name. You're introduced to Miles and kind of this dynamic he has with his girlfriend, and I feel like it feels off even in that very first scene. Uh, so even though we don't revisit them for a while, you kind of have that like set there, right? Um, in the back of your mind,
1: yeah, it, it really does. A good job of foreshadowing what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. And then we're very quickly introduced to uh, Cameron Diaz's character and her uh, boyfriend, whose name I will certainly not remember. But I remember Cameron Diaz's character's name because it's Amanda and that's my name. (laughs) (laughs) Her boyfriend is, um, I don't know the actor's name or the character's name, but he's in 27 Dresses. And then he's also in this terrible science fiction movie. I don't know if you've seen it called The Sound of Thunder. Uh, I haven't Hi. seen
1: it, but it's uh, Edward Burns is the actor.
0: Mm. Uh, so to me, he's always the Sound of Thunder guy, which is based on a Red, Ray Bradbury short story, I should say. And this Ray, Bradba- Ray Bradbury Ray short story is very good. The ad- adaptation that this guy is in is not very good. But yeah, he's also the uh, love interest kind of in 27 dresses so uh he kind of got around in the early 2000s though he's not a big name actor are i, I can't remember are they fighting in this first scene or is that set up later i think it's teased that that
1: they're fighting uh, it, it's again it's another foreshadowing moment is they haven't actually got to the fight yet but that there's that tension that's there of like uh something is amiss because there there's not that uh you know glowing relationship that that should be there uh but i don't think they actually get into the fight until after the opening narration part
0: yeah and then the narration moves us to Kate Winslet cuz she's actually the narrator and her character's name is Iris uh she works in a uh newspaper i a magazine type uh they, we really don't spend a lot of time on her job i feel like more time is spent on Cameron Diaz's job um, but they're at a Christmas party. It sets up very clearly that she is in love with uh, Jasper Rufus Sewell's character, um, and also um, I, in my notes in bold and all caps, I put Jasper is the worst, and I will stand by that for this whole movie.
1: <laughs> I, I would I would agree with you. He 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 makes so many dumb decisions, and he is oblivious to how dumb. His decisions are both to I'm not sure he is oblivious
0: I feel like he knows what he's doing like I feel like he's like just a manipulator and cruel like he's got to know he's stringing Iris along I, I
1: think he I think to an extent he does but I also think that he is oblivious to her feelings like he he doesn't he doesn't necessarily care how she feels he cares about what he can get out of her
0: yes yeah i would concur with that he's trying to get everything he can out of everyone which is very clearly set up in this opening scene right because they kind of have this moment and then they announce his engagement to somebody else
1: yeah they it it was again another fake out you think that because it's the on again off again you think well maybe they're going to get back together and because iris at at the newspaper she's the one that Does all the wedding announcements, you know, and the the editor asks her in front of everybody at the party to, you know, be the first one to have this announcement of Jasper getting engaged, and you you just see the look on Iris's face when it hits her what's being announced and what's going on. After that scene right before then with her and Jasper, it just your heart breaks for her in that moment.
0: It's just so like casually cruel or unknowingly cruel. And just like, I feel like everyone in her office has to know she's in love with Jasper, right? So for the boss to announce it in that way, to like, be like, there's a wedding you're going to have to cover, you know? And you're just like, oh, this is, this is horrible. (laughs) Yeah, I think the
1: one friend in the office with her knows and he she tries to get Iris to move on. Like, she kind of prods her to say, hey, you just need to move on. And, you know, and maybe she knew uh, about what was going to go down, but Iris is just kind of oblivious to it. She, again, is in her feelings for Jasper and Mm -hmm. doesn't realize it until the weight of that announcement kind of hits her.
0: Yeah, and it hits her uh, pretty hard. And so then this is juxtaposed with the fight between Amanda and uh, her boyfriend. Another guy I love to hate in this movie because some of the things he says, like, especially in this fight, is just so, like, cruel and unnecessary. And I mean, I know people say that, say things they don't mean in fights, right? But the one that particularly got me, and this is an important line because it's like a through point for the whole movie, is he tells her that she's the only woman in the world who breaks up with her boyfriend and doesn't shed a tear. And I was just like, first off, that is a lie. (laughs) Like, there are a lot of women who break up with boyfriends and don't shed a tear. Plus, she's like literally having a panic attack while she's doing it, which he can tell and knows. So it's just like, is a panic attack not as emotional as crying? I, I don't know. This is questionable. bad boyfriends
1: yeah and he thankfully we're not uh, exposed to him for too much of the film he's right there only at the beginning uh so thankfully we get to you know shell him off to the side and and move on with the story but yeah he he really is a jerk in this film uh, because he's the one that is a hundred percent at fault but yet he tries to put amanda at fault for something that's absolutely positively not her fault she's not the one that cheated he's the one that cheated and yet he's trying to justify his cheating because she doesn't cry like that Ah.
0: (laughs) it's inexplicable i mean he's just trying to to you know gaslight her i guess like be like this is your fault but he's the one who cheated i don't it's (sighs) scummy boyfriends in the setup of this movie well i guess jasper's not a boyfriend but or he was at one point. Uh yeah, he he but, was
1: at one point but then he kind of is the on the side guy. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, on the side guy makes it seem like she's holding him on the side. It's more like he's like uh yeah, I don't know. It's uh she's in an unrequited love situation, which is uh not cool. Not cool. But Amanda does break up with her boyfriend. Uh throws him out. Uh and uh then uh goes to work like you do because you know sometimes you got to get stuff done but her job is making trailers you know it's not something i think i ever really thought about as a separate like almost side industry to hollywood right like these people who have to make essentially these little mini movies to advertise the movie
1: yeah it's it's funny i uh i've gotten uh interested in another podcast that i listen to regularly and uh It's called Vintage Video Podcast, and uh, a couple of the hosts on there actually work in Hollywood uh, in the movie studios, uh, and they help produce trailers. So like some of the new trailers that have come out in recent years, they're the ones that are behind the scenes working on them. So it's kind of interesting having this film as one of my favorite films, and then having now found out about people that actually do this for a living – or or work in the industry uh, as tra- uh, working with the trailers.
0: I wonder if they would find the representation of trailer making in this movie accurate, because I have no idea.
1: Yeah, I've never asked them. I should ask them what what, what they think about this film. But yeah, it, it's <laughs> it, it's kind of interesting to to see how Amanda gets into her work and, and just it it and she enjoys it. I mean, we see that she she loves her work even to the ex- expense of sometimes her handling of her emotions and her feelings in the wake of you know just breaking up with Ethan her boyfriend
0: yeah and she's uh editing a trailer for a movie uh that stars Lindsay Lohan and James Franco and I really want to see this movie I know it's never going to be made I know it's not real but the trailer is so enticing like this seems like a fun action movie that I would love to go see yeah and it it
1: really feels like a, a mid-2000s movie when Lindsay Lohan and James Franco were kind of the young hip it actors that were in Hollywood at the time and so it totally makes sense that they would be in a film like this but uh, to to you know kind of get that tease of oh this would be interesting and then to kind of know that it's never going to happen is yeah it's kind of disappointing
0: yeah I and I, I always wonder about like for things like this for the stuff that goes on in the background like how how did they get Lindsay Lohan and James Franco to agree to this? Right. Like, you know, I, I mean, it's like, it's really easy. It's just a couple of days of shooting. Uh, you know, maybe they d- backed up a dump truck of money. I don't know, but I'm like, this is just so fun that they brought in these like big name actors who are themselves like in the trailer. It's like Lindsay Lohan, James Franco. Uh, and made a trailer for a movie that's never going to exist.
1: Yeah, I think it's yeah. because of their relationship with the director, uh, Nancy mm. Myers, uh, I know that uh, they, uh, she well, we'll get into it later about another uh, cameo that comes up uh, uh, of her relationship with an, with an actor there, but yeah, I think it's because she was friends with them and that she had, wor- uh, I know she worked with Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap, uh, the, oh. the 90s version.
0: Yeah. And yeah.
1: So, so I think that's how that connection was
0: interesting i did not know that um in this scene uh cameron diaz amanda is talking to her friends uh or co-workers they're not friends co-workers i guess they could be friends uh <laughs> john krasinski and uh I, I another actress uh and uh Something I wrote down is they literally quote Sleepless in Seattle, which is one of my favorite rom-coms, which I appreciate. I was like, oh, call back to Sleepless in Seattle, which is the (laughs) line that uh, single women over 35 are more likely to get killed by terrorists than married. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I was just like, whoever made this movie loves movies and you can tell, right? Like just the callback to old Hollywood that we're going to see later, the callback to other more modern movies, i say modern it was the 80s like sleepless in seattle um but uh also i don't think it's true that single women are more likely to ge- be killed by terrorists than married that seems crazy i don't think people get killed by terrorists that often
1: <laughs> yeah I, I i i almost wonder if that was you know only a couple years after 911 it, it was just that, that that kind of mindset was kind of still prevalent uh, i i don't know
0: i that's, yeah, but it's funny because it's a quote from Sleepless in Seattle, which is very far before 9-11, right? So I'm like, yeah. how can that be true then? Were people being killed by terrorists in the 80s and I don't know about it? Like, Well, uh, wasn't Sleepless in Seattle in the 90s? Was it the 90s? Or is it? if it is, it's very early 90s. Yeah, uh,
1: I th- yeah. so maybe. I'm going to Google it. I don't know. <laughs>
0: 93, you are correct. 1993. Uh. So maybe, maybe the terrorist threat, I was like five in 93. So I wasn't super aware of it, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And uh, we have Cameron Diaz, Amanda, she's trying to cry. Like after this, she's trying to make herself cry as if crying means you're sad. Right. Uh, And then that's immediately contrast to to Iris, just weeping like uncontrollably, (laughs) which I love. I love that. Like transition from uh, uh, amanda in her room like trying to force herself to cry uh to kate winslet just like unable to stop bawling everywhere
1: (laughs) yeah i mean you you see kind of that contrast of how they deal with emotions and uh, amanda is very like buttoned up and iris very much has her heart on a sleeve so like anytime you know you want to know what iris is thinking and feeling she will obviously let you know whereas amanda it's almost like she has to find ways to open up to have those emotions come out
0: yeah i uh, and then we get a uh weird little suicide attempt from iris <laughs> i i just say weird because it's like this is a very like upbeat movie and then she like almost tries to kill herself right in this scene uh so it takes like a dark turn for a minute but it's kind of played not for laughs but it was like oh that was a mistake right like i'm not going to do that
1: yeah not not good <laughs> not good at all uh
0: <laughs> i and then we get uh she gets a ding from her computer it's actually from amanda and we have this like i don't know if this kind of website actually existed or still exists but it's almost like a precursor to airbnb Right, I know like, it
1: did exist at one point because I think I remember back when the film came out, just like looking it up to see if it was actually legit. And there was like a, I don't know if it was exactly this site that is in the film, but there there was things like it. Uh, I don't know if those things exist now, obviously because we have Airbnbs and Burbos and all that. But yeah, th- this was definitely ahead of its time.
0: Yeah, and it's like a full on home swap. Right, uh, which I find interesting. Um, I actually know someone who's done this, uh, not through a website, but uh, the pastor at our church actually did a home swap with a pastor in Scotland. Like they switched lives for like three months, and our pastor went to the live in the other pastor's house and preached at his church, and that pastor came to us and preached at our church. So we had a Scottish pastor for three months. Huh uh and it was really interesting because it's Scotland to Albuquerque right that's that's kind of, that's almost the same difference uh except more rural i guess as iris and amanda but um it was very interesting uh you know he's up there in a kilt every sunday and we're just like this is albuquerque <laughs> <laughs> i've got to imagine i think it was summer too so the weather was probably uh, horrible for him he was probably like why is it 105 degrees outside <laughs> <laughs> Because uh, I doubt Scotland gets that hot, but which is kind of like eventually we'll get there. Amanda, when she gets to Scotland uh, to, our, to England, but in a the other way. Um, so they, they have this home swap thing that they want to do. Uh, interestingly enough, like Iris agrees to it without seeing anything about Amanda's home. Like Amanda could be living in a hovel.
1: <laughs> I, I think, given the extent of Iris almost trying to commit suicide like she was just ready to get away from her from england get away from jasper that she probably would have accepted anything and so that when we when she sees where she ends up at it's almost just a complete surprise to her in a good way because she just wanted to get away at that point
0: right which she needed to do and even when she's trying to get away jasper still tries to contact her (sighs) I hate Jasper. <laughs> uh, he's like, how do I reach you while you're gone? And uh, if I had been Iris, I would have just responded with, you don't. But, you know, she's uh, she's like, I just need time to get over you. And I'm like, you're giving him too much credit. Just tell him, just cut him off. But Iris is a lot nicer than I am, I guess.
1: <laughs> yeah, I- Iris, Iris is very much the hero of this film. And so many ways and even to you know being and treating jasper as nicely as she does when he definitely doesn't deserve it at all uh is a testament to how how much of a good person she is
0: yes yes uh i i think yeah we'll get to it iris i feel like iris is truly a good person but that is what enables people like jasper to take advantage of her right Mm. uh which is why she has to learn to stand up for herself, which she does yeah we have the the house swap i guess uh and uh iris is really surprised uh by how amazing amanda's house is and i do have to wonder i'm like trailers must be super lucrative right (laughs) because i know how much houses in la cost and i know this is like 2006 but they were still expensive then (laughs)
1: Yeah, well, uh, I mean, the is... fact that she's working, you know, in Hollywood with big blockbusters, and I have to imagine she's doing pretty well to to have that kind of house in that area. Uh, you know, we, we don't see too much of the outside of it, just a little bit, but even what little bit we do see outside of her house is pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, and she has, like, gardeners and a maid and, like uh all the latest i mean it's not surprising i guess that she has all the latest like movie digital tv kind of technology uh because that's her career but you know even having like the shades that come down to cover completely black out the sun it's like you're in la not alaska but whatever you have the money do it (laughs) (laughs) uh and so uh iris is able to take a nap in the middle of the day despite the sun because she can just black it all out meanwhile uh amanda uh uh first off i love the like trailer sequence of her life that she has on the airplane when she's trying to sleep because that is just like chef's kiss perfect (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh and then but she gets to the uk and it's just like not the i'll say idealistic uh uh I feel like she was, she saw this picture of a house and she's just thinking about being like warm and cozy with a cup of hot chocolate in front of a fire and not thinking about all the repercussions of like the cold England, like the car doesn't want to drive all the way down to the house because then it won't be able to turn around because the road's so narrow uh, or like dragging her stuff through the snow, or the fact that a house like that, a quaint cottage, doesn't really have heating. So she's kind of over it pretty fast.
1: yeah, I, I think she thought that it would be a little more closer to the city than what it was mm-hmm. when uh, she first you know put in for it. But then when she actually got there and realized that it really is a cottage in a village out in the middle of nowhere, that it kind of dawned on her at that point that, you know, this isn't, you know, LA anymore.
0: Right. You know, I feel like both characters made this decision to swap lives kind of on a whim, right? Like they didn't really think it through, but for Iris, it's like soup, like she goes to such a more wealth, more ease life. And then Amanda's just like, what is this? (laughs) Amanda has to face more the fact that she didn't really think this through, right? Like maybe more thought And I feel like Amanda is not the kind of person who's used to feeling out of control, right? Like, like she didn't think something through. So it's a a growth experience.
1: Yeah, I I would agree with that. She, she very much is a take charge. Everything has to be in its place. Everything has to go exactly the way that she wants it to. And to be in an environment where she doesn't know know, how to drive on the right side of the road uh, (laughs) to, you know, be able to, you know, function in this environment, it it pretty much throws her for a loop.
0: Yeah. I uh, so my one complaint about Iris, my one character defect for her is gonna be she left her dog with a stranger. Like Amanda gets there and there's a dog and I'm just like, I would never, I would never like get Jude Law to come get your dog. Your parents aren't that far or were their parents dead. No, they have parents. Cause their parents take care of Jude Law's kids, right? Get your parents to take care of the dog. Do not leave your dog with the random woman from LA. That's horrible. <laughs> so Iris quickly meets uh, Jack Black, who is, uh, I had forgotten that he's Ethan's friend, not Amanda's. Uh, and he's there to pick up Ethan's like stuff, I guess. Um, and he's uh, surprised to find this British woman in her house but we get a, a nice little meet cute I guess
1: <laughs> yeah
0: and I thought it was interesting like their romanticization of Santa Ana wins which as someone who has suffered through those I don't find very romantical at all <laughs> well I
1: guess you gotta use what is there and it it, it it's something that's always prevalent there in LA so <laughs> it's it's a nice fun way to kind of make that a plot point so to speak.
0: Yeah, it's funny because in Albuquerque, we get really, really bad wind uh, every spring. And it's so bad that like you almost can't go outside and then you'll find your like garbage pails like all the way down the street. And, you know, it's horrible. (laughs) It's horrible. Uh, So I'm just like, yeah, there's nothing magical about high winds. Just uh, but, you know. Uh, I also feel like that's part of Miles' character, though, that he kind of romanticizes everything in life. He's just a romantic at heart, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, and and his background's music, and so he kind of sees the music in everything that he comes across. And so, you know, there's a there's a melody to everything, and we'll get into that more later. But he, that that's kind of in his DNA, is to just kind of find the melody, find the music in everyone.
0: So iris has her meet cute with uh since you know we all know what kind of movie we're watching you're like oh this is probably gonna lead to a friendship or something a romance with jack black but of course jack black has a girlfriend at this point and then on the other side uh we have amanda who meets uh jude law which you know watching this movie i was just like oh my gosh jude law is so young here <laughs> <laughs> Watching this in 2023, after having seen things like Captain Marvel, you know where uh, he's much older. You're just like, he looks like a baby, and I love Jude Law. I heart, I heart Jude Law. I think he's a very attractive man, so um, I appreciate him in this movie. Uh, so, uh, she's not really expecting to meet him, obviously, and he is certainly not expecting her to be there. So Iris didn't even tell her family that she was leaving. And uh, uh, I just forgot Jude Law's character's name. Graham. Yeah. Graham. Yeah. Graham is also very drunk. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's Uh,
1: it's a very funny intro that these two have because you have Amanda who doesn't know that uh, Iris has a brother and you have Graham who isn't expecting someone else besides his sister at the house so it's just that that opening of the door and those two just kind of go having that startling moment together it is kind of uh it's kind of funny and in, in how that meet cute kind of happens
0: it, and, and there's just a couple of things in this scene like that they're just so well acted like amanda asks uh graham if he's married right uh and she's not and he says me neither and like the way he says it once you know like the whole story like I feel like you can hear like almost the catch in the way he says it right it's not untrue he's not married (laughs) but he's a little bit sad when he says it you know
1: yeah and I think Uh, it goes back to you know he's he's you know obviously drunk at that point and so Part of it is he's having that and then probably that mix of emotions of feeling of loss that it just kind of comes together so that you have that kind of melancholic answer to the, to the question.
0: Yeah. I, I do think it's weird. Even though Jude Law isn't a very attractive man. I do think it's weird to kiss your host's brother, but who knows? I, I just think it's weird. Like you're in another person's house. Shouldn't be coming on to their brother. I, I just find it all questionable. I just and it, and it's probably not the best time to get involved with someone when you literally just broke up with your boyfriend.
1: Yeah, it, it probably would be a good idea to to have some space there in between to process through emotions and thoughts, and not just kind of jump into something unexpectedly like
0: that. I mean, she thinks it's a one night stand, but it's still just like maybe maybe you need space. What can you do? They're people in movies. They're going to do what they're going to do. If she was my friend, I would be like, Amanda, I think you need some time to yourself. Meanwhile, with Iris, Jasper calls her. Not only does he call her, like he asks her for editing help. And I hate him. I hate him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, he can't. He can't let Iris have space. He can't let have Iris have time to herself. He has needs, uh, even if it's, you know, just getting editing on this book that he's writing, you know, and and he he's you know, like he says, I need you, Iris. Like that that that's a refrain that comes up with him several times throughout the film, is I need you, Iris. Uh, yes. and it's always using her more than anything. And unfortunately, Iris for most of the film kind of acquiesces to that. Like she agrees. To you know, help uh, help out Jasper. Even though she's the one that's on vacation, she's the one that's in America. You know, enjoying being in LA, but yet she still feels guilt for something to want to help Jasper out.
0: Yeah. Why Why don't we just focus on Iris for a bit, and then we can go back to Amanda? Because the stories do they move back and forth a lot, and it can it can be a lot. Um. So she agrees to help him, which is horrible. She should not. He uh, he also like brings in like talk of her looking sexy in this phone conversation, which is literally the worst, like literally stringing her along. But eventually Iris in like the next uh, scene she has, uh, she meets an old man that she had seen previously on her street who's lost and his name is Arthur. Uh, and she takes him home because uh, she knows where he lives. I do think it's funny that he explains like what a meat cute is to her as if that's only a Hollywood term, and people in the writing world don't know about it, even though Iris comes from a family that's like deeply embedded in publishing. But it's a movie. We got to explain things to people. <laughs> <laughs> and Iris sees, like, she takes Arthur to his home, and he has all of this stuff, right? These like awards, like they're just like willy nilly all around. His house is a wreck. And she just, I feel like she just sees into how lonely he is. And she just feels so much empathy for that, um, which just goes back to Iris being such a good person.
1: Yeah, she she sees Arthur, who you know was obviously a successful screenwriter, someone who is from the golden era of Hollywood, who for the most part you know has only a few friends left that you know we meet uh, later on in the film. But for the most part, he just lives alone. He has the the uh, occupational therapist that comes by every now and then, but really he, he is alone. And, you know, Iris kind of, like you said, he, she identifies with uh, that loneliness and strikes up this friendship, which was, you know, probably nothing that she would have ever expected when she, you know, first came over to to LA that she would, you know, meet this world famous uh, essentially screenwriter who you know knows all about Cary Grant who is from the same village right. that Iris is from so it 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 really is kind of I almost say it's one of the best parts of the film is their friendship that develops through the film because uh, Iris is the one that kind of helps Arthur get back on his feet and Arthur is the one that kind of helps Iris find her gumption.
0: Yes. And it's so important. Like, right. Like I feel like Iris was open to an adventure in LA. She was open to anything. And then she decides to help this old man, which is both, you know, empathetic and helpful. But then he like chooses to like mentor her and they learn from each other. And he's the one who calls her out. Right. He says, you are a leading lady, but you're acting like a best friend. Such a good line. Right, like she's not even acting like the main character of her own life. If you're not the main character of your own life, what are you?
1: Yeah, and and you even see Iris when uh, she comes to that realization. She, you know, I I can't remember the exact line, but she kind of says it's uh, brutally honest. uh, Is is kind of how it comes across, and it's true. And she realizes that you know she acts like the best friend in her own story and it shouldn't be that way. And uh, it takes, you know, that outside perspective from Arthur to kind of kickstart that thinking process of changing to being that leading lady in her own life.
0: Right. She also like gives that back to Arthur because uh, even though she really never directly calls him out on it, it's like Arthur has given up on his own life almost like he's like living in his own tomb. And she, you know, she, when she finds that letter, from the um the writers guild inviting him to like a special thing to honor him and he's just like oh I don't want to go cuz he's embarrassed cuz he thinks he won't be he doesn't want to walk in on his walker and she's like this is ridiculous you're going to do this and we're going to help you you know be able to walk in there with pride and strength and be able to do this uh and and I mean that's just who Iris is yeah. And, and it, it's also interesting too, because they almost
1: help each other get that confidence because you have yes. Arthur who, you know, goes around on this Walker. He also doesn't think that there would be anybody that shows up to this event. He thinks that it's going to be an empty room, but Iris is like, no, th- they want you here. They want to honor you for all, all the work that you've done. It's like, you definitely should go. And then, there's going to be no excuses. Like you're going to walk there on your own. We're g- I'm going to help you get there that way. So you have that motivation on that end. But then you also have the motivation from Arthur to Iris of you know, like we said, being that leading lady to having that confidence, getting that gumption uh, to be able to deal with the issues that she's dealing with. So it really is kind of what you have in a best case scenario of a friendship is the building up of each other to having to be the best of best of their selves that one can help lift the other one up and vice versa. And I think that that's one of the things I really enjoy about this film is their friendship. Like I mentioned before is they both lift each other up. They both encourage each other. And by the end of the film, they're both better off because of it.
0: And, and they pull miles into that right? Like he and Iris have a lot in common with kind of how they view themselves. Like, I feel like they're, they're both people who for whatever reason will just take a lot from a significant other, like stuff they shouldn't take. Um, And, you know, maybe that's a little of, they don't think highly of themselves. Like, you know, I I feel like there's a line somewhere in the movie that makes it clear that we're supposed to think uh, that Kate Winslet is not very attractive. Uh, which is, of course, the struggle of all Hollywood movies when they try to convince us that a beautiful woman is uh, not. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I feel like Jack Black's character comes across as in a similar situation where he views himself as not very attractive and he has this beautiful supermodel girlfriend. So he feels like he needs to give her whatever she wants, whatever space she needs you know, to keep her because he almost feels like he doesn't deserve her even though she treats him like crap and he's a brilliant composer right and it's with iris and kind of seeing hearing from iris about jasper that i feel like miles sees that reflection of himself and also learns to grow
1: yeah i i think i think you you hit that really, really well you know miles is that kind of character that is just happy to be there Uh, in in his relationship with maggie his girlfriend you know she's an actress she he helps her out in so many different ways and you know like you said gives her space when she needs to when she's quote-unquote off on set in like i think in santa fe so she's in new mexico uh which isn't that far (laughs) yeah so she's filming a movie quote-unquote and you know he is you know Wanting to get a birthday present out to her, or is it Christmas? I, I th- it was one of the might other. be
0: Christmas because it's it might, the holidays, right? Yeah, that's uh, that's
1: true. Uh, and he, you know, rushes to the post office to make sure that that gift gets out there. And even you know, though we never see really Maggie have that kind of reciprocal relationship with Miles, he's the one that's always wanting to do everything for her, and it takes that you know friendship with iris and with arthur for miles to see what is a healthy relationship and what is an unhealthy relationship
0: right because arthur was married to his wife forever so he kind of like he doesn't like directly tell miles like this sucks and you suck don't do this but just like from the stories he tells about his own life i feel like it shows both iris and miles, that something in what they're holding on to is wrong, and you know, Iris knew what she was holding on to with Jasper was broken, but like it just shows that there is something better out there that it is possible. It's not just a fairy tale, right. He was able to have this long time romantic love of his life,
1: yeah, and I think that's that's the good example that Arthur portrays to them, and that you know he wants them to have that kind of view of relationships that it's not just a you know unrequited relationship like with uh Iris and Jasper or a you know 100% 0% kind of relationship with Miles and Maggie but that there can be a real connection and a real relationship when you find that person that is your is your one and so I think that's one good thing about the Iris, Miles, Arthur storyline of the film is that it really does give good portrayals of what a relationship should look like and what a relationship shouldn't look like and makes you really understand why uh, an unhealthy relationship is not a good thing to be in.
0: Right. Uh, And speaking of unhealthy, Jasper is just like, cannot let us go in this entire movie So he sends Iris pages in the mail in 2006. Like I was writing in 2006. I mean, not professionally, but we had email. We had word and track changes. Uh, Sending it in the mail means he found her address, right? And sent it to her. And then later he shows up and Iris thinks it's this grand romantic gesture, right? That it means it's over with the fiance and then when it gets to the point where she presses on that she realizes it's not like he's just continually stringing her along and not letting her go and she finally has to like like tell him off right <laughs> character growth so yeah i just really love the scene where she finally like puts him in his place and it's like it's almost at this point in the movie where i feel like we have forgotten about jasper because i feel like iris and jack black are kind of having these moments you know even though maggie is still like coming back to him and you're like oh i see that i see what this is becoming she's having all this growth with uh, arthur and she's learning a lot Uh and then jasper shows off and he's like I don't want to lose you, babe. And it's just like, but he just wants her as like a side piece. Right. And, uh, it's just when she's finally able to kick him out, uh, it's just so satisfying.
1: Yeah. Well, and the thing too, with the, the, that last scene with Jasper was that she was at her lowest point because prior to that, you know, she had been really connecting with miles. She, she had that one moment where, uh, she kind of had that heart to heart of like, you know, this is what Jasper's been doing. He's been, you know, calling her even while he is on a date with his fiance. Like he still calls Iris. He sends these, you know, letters, uh, letters of full of the manuscripts for her to edit. And you know, Miles, you know, is like, you know, he he offers a, You know, he's drinking because of the fact that he finds out that Maggie is cheating on him uh, because uh, they were inside of a blockbuster. Again, mm-hmm. <laughs> dating a time here. Uh, they uh, Miles and uh, Iris were looking for films because Arthur had given her so many suggestions of films to watch. And uh, Miles sees off in the distance Maggie and finds out that Maggie had been cheating on him the whole time. And, they have you know miles and iris have this moment where they commiserate with one another but then maggie tries to get back with miles and leaves iris alone and that's the moment when jasper comes in at iris's lowest point uh you know, being you know hurt and broken and all these different feelings but we also see at this point this is where iris finds that gumption to finally tell jasper off and to kick him out and basically move on with her life and it really it took up to that point of everything that happens for her to finally have that realization of this is who i am i don't need jasper in my life and jasper you go you know touch grass or whatever
0: yeah (laughs) and uh it's so nice uh and then after that uh is arthur's thing right uh his um his uh award ceremony celebration of his life i guess um and uh miles is supposed to be there for them because he wrote this song for arthur that he's going to play for arthur when arthur goes up on the stage uh so that he feels uh Strong enough to get up those stairs, right? so it's like a little note of encouragement is the idea uh and this is what they've all been working towards, but since Maggie came back, uh you know, miles is kind of m i a when uh, uh Iris goes to pick Arthur up um and there's just so many nice little moments of Arthur and Iris right here, like when Arthur goes to give her a corsage and like apologizes if she thinks it's corny, and she's like i'm looking for corny in my life and you're just like oh <laughs> it, it,
1: it feels very much of the golden age era like that line was would be exactly from that
0: yes um and then they go to the award ceremony and arthur is just gobsmacked by how many people are there for him like it's like you said he didn't appreciate right uh his own legacy and uh he walks down the aisle with iris helping him but when he goes to get to the stairs a man you know who works there an usher type uh, you know offers to help him up the stairs and that is like miles the music starts and miles is there and arthur's able to walk up the stairs by himself and it just all like comes together in this last minute um it's just beautiful, I feel like. Even though I also feel like it's okay to accept help up the stairs, Arthur. You're an old man. It's not shameful. Like, Yeah, I mean, that's um, what he's there for. Yes. It makes me think of like one of the Oscar ceremonies in the past like five years I feel like where Chris Evans helped someone up the stairs and I'm like why would you ever deny that let, let Chris Evans help you up the stairs like you know I sometimes I need help up the stairs and I'm like 35 you know so I guess I'm older than that I don't know my age whatever <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think everything about the award ceremony is just so perfect
1: yeah it's just yeah. a great celebration of Arthur who deserves uh, those accolades uh, and to be honored in such a way and it also is a great way of showcasing Miles's talent uh, with the music and, and and, all, and we didn't, we didn't talk about the scene earlier where Miles and Iris are together and he's kind of trying to come up with Arthur's theme and yeah. he starts playing like uh Indiana Jones. And there was a couple of other ones and, and Iris would be like, wait a minute, that's not, that's something. And he's <laughs> like, Oh yeah, that's right. That's right. And so he, has you know he starts playing arthur's theme but then he also plays a theme for iris and it's really that it's kind of that moment that you start to see a spark between those two and it kind of culminates at the ceremony where uh miles asks iris if she has new year's plans and so that that's where that date ends up happening or getting planned and so really that that's that scene at the ceremony is just a great culmination of that storyline
0: yeah and i I love how after they kiss at the ceremony they're both just like like score you know like they're both they both have such this like outward like dorky reaction it's so cute yeah it's
1: just perfect for both of them
0: (laughs) yes um so we should probably leave Iris and Miles and Arthur there, uh, and then go back and catch up with Amanda and Graham. Graham left Amanda under the impression that he was uh, single, detached, but also maybe a little bit of a ladies' man because he takes uh, a phone call. Uh, and uh, mentions the name of several girls, right? And I, I think Amanda says something like Sophie, Olivia, Amanda, busy guy, right? Like like he's juggling all these uh, women, um, which in retrospect is of course hilarious because we know those are his daughters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so she thought she was going to have this one night stand with him, but then she like goes to the bar to like meet up with him again because he said he would be there. And I just love how like hopeful, like you can tell Jude Law like Graham was looking for her right and when he sees her I he just like completely lights up and I feel like all all of this is part of Graham's character right that like he's not actually this ladies man like I even though Amanda thinks he is I feel like maybe he doesn't actually do a lot of one night stands with random women yeah I I think Um, it's
1: more of he has moments at times but for you know, ninety nine percent of the time, he's the responsible adult uh, because he has to be with you know two young daughters that he's having to raise, and uh, you know he has to be kind of that responsible guy. And that you know when Amanda first meets Graham, he she meets him at that one percent where he's just kind of letting loose uh, as best he as best he can, understanding that you know he he has to be. So, most of the time responsible.
0: Yeah, he's and and I think I think that letting loose, right, is all of him trying to like spend a weekend forgetting like that the love of his life is dead. Right? I mean, it can feel really shallow like oh, he just wants to party and forget he's a parent, but it's like he had everything. He had the life and it's gone. And I'm sure that when he's with his daughters like every day he can never forget their mother right he can never forget and then you can spend a weekend plastered hanging out with your friends and forget right uh and then amanda just kind of slips in there yeah and
1: and the fact too that he always goes away because he stays at iris's house when he you know gets drunk and you know he crashes there he he doesn't you know go back to the city until he sobers up and then and then he goes back to his life. And so he he really does compartmentalize his wild, you know, quote unquote, bachelor side with his, you know, responsible parent side.
0: Yes. We learn from him that the whole family is in publishing, uh, which, you know, yay book nepotism, I guess. But I do <laughs> think it's interesting. Like, I think it's this interesting setup is that we have this, like, the British people are all into books and writing. And the Americans are all into movies. It's a very old world, new world kind of set up for the movie.
1: Yeah, it is it's an like, interesting you know, dynamic that's kind of juxtaposed.
0: Yeah, it's like British people have movies too and Americans have books too. But we're going to be like British books versus American movies. Eventually, she does meet his daughters because she's going to surprise him at his house. Because once again, she doesn't know he has this family. So she's going there with the intent to like, seduce him right like bringing like wine and dressing nice uh and she gets there and he's like trying to stop her from coming in and she like hears voices and she's like oh do you have someone in the house and she thinks it's like another woman and it's his children and they're so Uh, cute too they are so cute i what is it about like british Children. They're so like they seem in the movie so proper and polite and adorable. And you're just like, what are these cute children? (laughs) How how can you say no to that? And one of them says, like, you look like my Barbie. And you're just like, Oh, these children. They're they're just adorable. And then of course we learn that Jude Law is not divorced because she asked him that. He's a widower, which is of course catnip to the ladies in general right because oh you've loved and lost you didn't give up but I also for like I feel like for Amanda in particular if Jude Law had been divorced based on her background I feel like that would be a deal breaker because her parents divorce was so traumatizing to her yeah and I
1: obviously we know how it impacted her with the fact that She hasn't been able to cry since then.
0: Right. I I feel like if he had been like, no, we're divorced. And then her seeing these two children who are girls and she's, you know, she would very much relate to that. I feel like that would have been she would not have been able to get over that. Like they could have had like a fun week, but it wouldn't have gone beyond that. Right. But him being a widower is a different story. Right. Because it means that Jude Law lost out right he lost mm-hmm. someone he loved and then of course he and his kids call themselves the three musketeers just like her and her parents did there's just so many parallels i love that graham's character is just like a complete weeper like he cries a lot um which of course juxtaposes with amanda but puts him completely in line with iris because iris is his sister so they both are just these people who wear their hearts on their sleeve
1: yeah it, it really is kind of that connecting point that, that you see with them, uh, again he's you know very open very honest about his feelings he puts it out there almost sometimes to his own detriment because you know he tells amanda i love you (laughs) and she does not respond back in the way that he wanted or hoped that she would and you you just see the heartbreak that comes on his face because again they've known each
0: other like three days
1: (laughs) but 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 he knows he knows how how he feels and he he is quick to say it And he also knows that if he gets hurt, he will definitely feel that and show that emotion just as much as Iris does.
0: Yes. they are opposites in a way like that. So Iris and Miles are very similar, right? And they have to, they learn from each other because they see reflections of each other in their experiences. Whereas uh, Amanda and Graham are very different. And from that, they also learn from each other which I, I think is a fascinating dichotomy. Um, but I, I do think, don't say I love you to a girl after knowing her for like two days. That will freak her out. I don't care who she is.
1: Yeah, probably <laughs> wait a little bit before doing that.
0: And so, you know, there's like a bunch of fun scenes with them and the kids, uh, like Mr. Napkinhead, which is not oh, funny at all. But <laughs> I,
1: that, that, that whole scene with Mr. Napkinhead is one of my favorite scenes of the film. Because it just shows how much he loves his kids and how much he wants to support them. And, you know, he will gladly, you know, put a napkin on his face and, you know, act out something goofy like that because that's what, you know, his kids enjoy. And really that to me is just, again, it it endears you to Graham as as a character and as a person. Because he loves his kids so much.
0: Right. He's willing to make himself look like a fool in front of this, from his perspective, like sophisticated LA woman, but his kids are more important, right? And if she thinks he's ridiculous and doesn't want to see him anymore after he does the Mr. Napkin head, the kids are more important than that, right? Mm -hmm. Uh,
1: Absolutely.
0: Which, you know, really uh, gives him more depth than what you people thought he was at the beginning when you think he's just like a, a playboy, party boy type. Yeah, other thoughts about Amanda and Graham? Well, the thing the thing with those two and
1: you 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 kind of see it juxtaposed between Iris's story. Amanda is always quick to leave or she's always mm. wanting to leave and that it almost like circumstances kind of pull her back in. You know, going all the way back to the beginning of when she gets to England, you know, she's almost ready to leave at the drop of a hat. Like she goes and right. gets back to the airport. And at Heathrow and was going to leave, but then she decides otherwise and then goes to meet Graham at the, you know, at the bar. And even, you know, later on when they are starting to develop feelings for one another and they're trying to figure out, you know, how to make this long distance relationship work, Graham is willing to make it work, even though he's the one that has, you know, the responsibilities of his job and his kids. You know, he's willing to make it work, whereas Amanda isn't at the point where she wants to make it work. You know, she has her job in L.A., and it almost feels like she is okay with that, but not necessarily okay with wanting to juggle or implement this long-distance relationship in. And so you really see that push, that uh, pull, that tug back and forth between, you know, Graham and Amanda and how they're wanting to fit into each other's lives and in in the long picture it as opposed to Iris and miles where they are just kind of going with the flow of of where it is and and, and how their relationship is going first as a friendship and then into more whereas Graham and Amanda they're almost like they expressed their emotions and feelings right off the bat and then had to, you know, deal with the ramifications of it uh, all the way up to the end of the film when Amanda finally accepts the fact that she really does care for Graham in in, in a very deep, meaningful way, more so than just a one night stand, more so than just a one week and you know gone and never see you again kind of thing. I, I think really, that's almost where the two parts of the film kind of play off of each other is you have the slow build with, uh, with Iris and miles. And then you have like the, the big bang of Graham and Amanda and just dealing with the aftermath of it.
0: Yeah. And I feel like Amanda gets in her own way. I mean, you talk about her always trying to like leave, Uh, you know, there's a line early on when um, she says something like going to England, she had never planned anything less in her life. Right Uh, because she is a planner. She plans everything. So when she's thinking about Graham and she sees the kids and she realizes, you know, and he says, I love you. And she realizes this is maybe more than just a holiday thing. Maybe she wants it to be more than a holiday thing. She cannot help but play out in her mind all the possibilities of how this will go forward, right? And in her mind, she's like, this is just going to lead us to inevitably breaking up in six months to a year, when this doesn't work out because it's long distance. So I'm going to break up now. She gets in her own. She cannot, whereas Miles and Iris can be a little more like, we'll see where this goes. Part of her character growth is that she's like incapable of doing that because she has to be in control. So her letting go at the end and saying, maybe it is okay to see where it goes. Maybe it's worth it. Maybe even if it doesn't work out for whatever reason, uh, that six months or a year where it is working Will be worth everything else, right? Is um part of what she learns and how she grows.
1: Yeah. And I think it really goes back to her parents getting divorced when she's a teenager, and then her breaking up with Ethan. She has these moments in her mind of, well, this is what relationships are. They just inevitably end. And that to her is is everything that she plays out with anything that she deals with. And so what she sees with Graham, like you said, she says she plays it out in her mind six months to a year out, they're going to break up. And so I don't want to deal with it now. So I'm just going to, you know, leave. And it almost just takes that realization when she's going to the airport for the last time that, this is who, this is what I feel for Graham. And it's not something that is necessarily explainable or planned out or whatever it is, but that it is honest and real. And that's when those emotions you know, kind of swell up in her and she has that breaking point of crying uh, that we see in the car uh, is all those things just kind of finally welling up in her and finally just letting go of it.
0: Yeah. And she has the driver turn around and take her back, which I got a feel for this driver uh, because she like abandons her stuff in the car and then runs back. And you got (laughs) the driver's probably like, what am I supposed to do? (laughs) Uh, But uh, she gets back to the house and Jude Law is just there like crying. And it's so (laughs) it's just so ridiculous and perfect. And then uh, the movie kind of fast forward to New Year's Eve where all of them are there in England, just having a party, right? Jude Law and Amanda and the kids, Iris and Miles. You know, because once again, Iris and Graham are brother and sister. They do know each other,
1: <laughs> and, and you and you finally have that moment with them two together. You have the moment with yes. them two together, and then you have the moment with Amanda and Miles together. And so it's it shows yes, they they do know each other outside of uh, their relationships.
0: Yes, yes, and it's just that you know this is one of the few movies where I get to the end and I'm like, I want to follow up. Like I want, I want to know where these characters are in like 10 years. Right. Like we end on this, like, it's not a cliffhanger, but it's just like, it's like a moment in time. And it's such a, a beautiful moment of all of them. Just like they've grown, they've moved beyond and they're here. And I just want to know how it works out for these crazy kids. But we'll never I'll, ta- I'll tell it you two characters that I'm
1: glad that I don't know what happened to them, and that's Jasper and Maggie. <laughs> Th- those oh. two, I'm so glad that, that they kind of shuttle off and, and we don't know what happens to them because that you know obviously they're there for a reason in the story. They they are supposed to be the the bad guys, the villains of the story. Uh, but it, it is kind of glad at the end that we don't know what happens to them.
0: Yeah, I am, I hate Jasper so much. <laughs> Every time like he's on the screen, like all of my notes are like, he is the worst. Uh, he is a horrible human being. Uh, please slap him, Iris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I really, really despise, ja- he's like the worst kind of guy, right? Cause like, does his fiance even know about the whole him and Iris thing and his feelings for Iris? Like he's just completely using these women uh and i hope his book uh completely flops and uh, he is never published ever again
1: yeah th- that's one thing that we never find out about the, the fiance is does she know what's going on and if she does you know does she you know break off the engagement because i would hope so because i i think that if if you know that the guy is already you know willing to cheat on you essentially before mm-hmm. you're married that you know that that's not a good precursor for what's going to happen after the wedding
0: and i'm sure maggie'll just go along to the next guy and do the same things and uh <laughs> maybe she'll have character growth one day she seems young i don't know but uh i don't have much hope for her either also yeah. ethan i don't care about him we we offed him in like the first 20 minutes and never saw him again
1: <laughs> yeah he, he was almost uh, just a plot point device more than anything yes
0: Yes. Um, so, yeah. Any uh, any thoughts we passed over that you want to uh, mention? Uh, I, I brought up the other cameo
1: that uh, you know talked about, like the relationship with the, the director Nancy Myers. Uh, you know, we had the Dustin Hoffman scene in the blockbuster, mm, yes. which was yes. kind of funny. And the story uh, the story behind that was he lives down he lived down the street from that blockbuster. And that he went into the store to find a movie, uh, and they were filming while he was there. And the director, Nancy Myers, asked if he wanted to, you know, have a little cameo in there. And he was like, "Sure." And so that's where we <laughs> get the scene where uh, Miles is, you know, do, playing like the theme songs for different movies, and uh, holds up the Graduate, and we cut over and we see dustin hoffman being like i can't go anywhere kind (laughs) of a thing and so i I always i always love that little cameo
0: yes i didn't know that backstory that's amazing my only little additional funny thing and this is not about the movie it's about me watching the movie uh is the first time i watched it there's a scene uh with miles and iris where i think they're talking about jasper and maggie and uh miles brings her like sweet tea or something. Uh, and she says she needs something stronger. And he, she brings back a glass of what I now know is probably something like vodka. Uh, but at the time I just saw a clear liquid and I was like, why is water stronger than tea? I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't drink, so I don't have a lot of alcohol knowledge. And my friends, uh, I said that like after we, like in the scene to my friends, I was like, why is water stronger than tea? And they were like, Oh my gosh, Mandy. So, uh, for those of you who may not know, that's supposed to be alcohol, probably just me, but this is a cute movie. Uh, My husband has not seen it. So I look forward to exposing it to it this holiday season. Uh, but right now at the time of us recording, it's Halloween. So we're not watching Christmas movies yet, except nightmare Before Christmas, which is, you know, on the line. Yeah. Uh, Which
1: is both a Halloween and Christmas movie.
0: Yes. Yes. Uh, so anything else about the movie you would like to share because this is one of your favorites it's a great
1: it's a great movie and if you haven't seen it go see it if you have seen it see it again
0: yeah and you know what since it's like it's a great movie to watch like right after christmas because it's not really a christmas movie it's just a like holiday movie between christmas and new year so if christmas is over and you're sitting to thinking what should i watch you should watch the holiday Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for joining me today. Uh, Would you like to uh, tell people where they can follow you on the internet or anything like that?
1: Yeah, uh, you can follow my podcast, Screen Nerds Podcast, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, Just search Screen Nerd Podcast. Uh, You can find me on Twitter. I still call it Twitter, uh, at Screen Nerds Pod. Uh, You can find me on Instagram, Facebook and threads by searching out screen nerds podcast. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on Mandy. I really appreciate it. Uh, Really enjoyed the conversation and uh, it's been a really good, good time to, to talk with you.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Sometime we'll have to talk about another movie that's not necessarily limited to just the holiday season and, you know, maybe Bake Off. Who knows? Uh, so, <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for joining me and thank you everyone for listening and uh, come back next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will join us again next month on january 15th rachel delaney will be joining me again to continue our discussion of the netflix show midnight mass this time discussing book three proverbs thank you for listening to mandemonium you can find me mandy on twitter at brown underscore aja that's a-j-a-h you can also find the podcast on twitter at mandemonium pod and we also have a podcast facebook page Theme music for this podcast was created by Skips of Beat Music. Thank you so much for listening and we hope you come back next time.